Before you're ordained um, a priest, you have to do an internship in a parish, uh, being mentored by uh, a priest. Sometimes it's for an entire year, sometimes just a, like a three or four month um, span to see what it's like to live in a rectory, to live the daily life of a priest. And I was blessed to have a great mentor who's continued to be uh, a great mentor to me um, as I've been a priest as well, someone who I can bounce ideas off of or check myself when I feel like I'm getting too big for my britches or whatever. He's a good mentor, and he calls me to, to task a lot. And I remember one experience in particular um, when during our weekly meeting, we'd have this weekly check-in of how things were going. I was just really frustrated by a lot of what I was seeing, like in the parish, in the church in general, and criticizing a lot of people, a lot of priests or bishops, or like just basically one of those days where you like see all the problems in the world and you just have to talk about it and uh, complain about it. And I was doing that, and he just interrupted me and he said, Connor, you're transfixed. You're caught in the vortex. And he was referring to something that we, a conversation we'd had before that he said, the evil is a vortex. And that what the devil wants more than anything is to just capture your attention so that all you see is the bad stuff in the world, in the church, and other people. And you just get caught up in that and you can't stop paying attention to it and you can't stop talking about it and ruminating and brooding over it and sharing it with other people and spreading it around. The best way to stop is to just stop, to get out of the vortex, start paying attention to what's good, to be grateful. Or, God forbid, look at your own self. <laughs> And stop criticizing everyone around you and to start, see your, to start to see your own faults. So I was preparing for this uh, gospel reading this week. I read this great reflection. A priest said that, that he was on retreat. And at one point, one of the activities of the retreat was for people to just share um, anonymously about a person that's really difficult for them to love. Someone who really bothers them, who rubs them the wrong way. And to just share what it is that you find so obnoxious about this person. And of course, people relished the activity. They loved it. It's like, oh, wow, okay. They, suddenly people who were so quiet about their spiritual reflections now had plenty to share of the people and the things that annoyed them. And then once everyone was done sharing these traits or these faults of other people that they found obnoxious, then the retreat director said, okay, now in a period of silence, I want you to go back to your rooms and to ask God's forgiveness for those same faults in yourself. And of course, everyone was sort of caught off guard and realized that, yeah, a lot of times, the very things that annoy me about other people, the faults that I find most obnoxious, are the faults that I understand the best because I have them myself. I know them from the inside out. Like, have you ever seen a picture on Instagram or something and been like, ugh, I know exactly what that person's doing. They're just trying to get likes, right? Or something like that, and you find it really annoying and vain. And the only reason you know that is because you've done the exact same thing or wanted to and just stopped yourself because you didn't want to be seen as vain or whatever. Like little things like that that just you see in other people, the only reason you see it is because you know it. Because you understand it from the inside out. Jesus uses uh, a literary device called hyperbole in the, in the gospel today. This, par- this parable of the wooden beam coming out of someone's eye. I was looking up at these beams in our ceiling here. Just imagine the cartoonish, cartoonish image that Jesus is painting. That someone with literally that beam coming out of their face, going up to someone else and being like, I think you have something in your eye. 
It's ridiculous. It's meant to be ridiculous. To show us how frequently we do this. That we want to see everybody else's fault. And it's blinded us to the gigantic, ridiculous, cartoonish-looking beam that we have coming out of our face. But it's obvious why, right? Not just because we understand our own faults better and, we, and we want to, we're defensive about ourselves and, and would rather pay attention to other people's faults. The reason is because it's easy. It's easy to see other people's faults. It's easy to judge people. It's easy to criticize. And it feels good. It feels kind of self-righteous to, to just like spread abroad every little um, defect of other people's characters to whoever will listen, right? It's our favorite indoor pastime. It's to gossip, to spread rumors. But what's really difficult is to look at yourself. What's impossible without God's grace is to cure your own faults. That's maybe why we do it so often, why we look outside of ourselves instead of looking inside, is because we know that even if we tried, we couldn't stop doing the things that we hate about ourselves. We couldn't cure the disease of sin. We are all captive to sin. This is the lesson of the New Testament, that we have been enslaved. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I see the good that I want to do, but I don't do it. And I see the bad that I don't want to do, and I do it. I can't stop. I'm captive to sin. But I've been set free in Christ Jesus, who died for my sin who, not knowing sin, became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. In other words, the only way out of this predicament of sin is to die. Christ's death has set us free, but we have to die to be free. We have to join ourselves to him in his crucifixion in order to join him in his resurrection, in order to be wiped clean, to have the slate wiped clean. But to die means to be helpless, means to go out into the desert. In just a few days, we're going to start the long desert of Lent, the 40 days accompanying Jesus and fasting, prayer, almsgiving. Let's prepare for that so that it doesn't catch us off guard because this is the great opportunity to die and so be set free. It's not easy to die. It's not easy to surrender. It's much easier to point out other people's faults. And Jesus is not saying, don't ever tell anybody what's wrong with them. And matter of fact, he says, once you get the wooden beam out of your eye, then you can take the splinter out of other people's eyes. Then you can start to help other people. But you can't help other people if you haven't yet helped yourself. I once heard an alcoholic say, the most sacred space in the world is not any church. It's the space between two alcoholics who are helping each other. Because an alcoholic, someone who's actually dealt with their addiction, is someone who's recognized their helplessness, someone who's died, someone who's confronted this thing that they cannot control, that they cannot fix. And they've said, I can't do it, Lord. I give myself over to you. I put myself in your hands. And then God, by his grace, makes them a new person, gives them a new chance, gives them a new life. And so now they can go out and help others who have the same predicament. But a person with an addiction, a person who's struggling to manage their own life because of this thing that's taken hold of them, is not going to trust somebody who's like, you sicken me. I can't believe that you would let alcohol or drugs or fill-in-the-blank control your life like this because they can't sympathize. 
or because they can, but they've refused to deal with it for themselves, and so they just cast judgment on everyone else. But this, the person who has really confronted their own weakness, their own frailty, and died, will be reborn, not self-righteous, not puffed up, not judgmental, but humble, patient, and kind. So let's enter the desert ourselves to die with Christ and so rise with him in this new life.